Okay, so we are making our way through the armor of God, and we're up to the helmet of salvation. So remember, from the prophet Isaiah, who prophesied of the work of Messiah, even the Messiah put on a helmet of salvation. So if Messiah, if Jesus had to put on a helmet of salvation, how much more do we need to put on the helmet of salvation? So again, with the helmet, Paul says, take up the helmet. We have to put it on ourselves. I know I've said that for every piece of the armor so far, but guess what? It's still true. You have to put the armor on yourself. And this is important. The helmet, it guards your head. What's in your head? Your brain. If your head gets hit on a battlefield, irreparable damage could be done, and it could impact your vitality and usefulness forever. I mean, it impacts your entire life because the brain tells the rest of your body how to function. So a blow to the head on the battlefield, it can be paralyzing or it can be fatal. We've got to keep our head covered, keep our head, our mind in the Lord. Otherwise, we are in danger of becoming paralyzed in our faith or even falling away from the faith. We've got to put on the helmet of salvation. What does Paul say in Romans chapter 12 and verse 2? Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The mind, that's what's under your helmet of salvation. But what's the renewing of the mind? That by testing, you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So a lot of people, they they will quote the first part of that verse, but, you know, just if you enjoy what I'm saying, please do me the favor. From now on, when you quote this verse, quote the second half of it also. It's not just about renewing your mind with all the other garbage that's out there. It's about renewing your mind so that you can discern and even test and prove and be the proof of the perfect will of God. What God says is good, what God says is acceptable, and what God says is perfect. So that's what we're renewing our mind for. And the word there for mind, it's the it's the faculties of perceiving and understanding. So what you perceive and what you understand. You know, when we first come into faith in the Lord and our mind is unrenewed or even People who do not yet believe Jesus, their mind is unrenewed. It has not, they have not been regenerated yet by the Spirit of the Lord changing them. And so their perception of things, their understanding of things, and yours and mine before we get a renewed mind. And believe me, God is still renewing my mind, but it's about what you perceive or what you understand about something. The Lord is constantly purifying your perception of things to see things the way that he sees things. You know, there are songs that will see that that will sing this. You know, I want to see things the way that you see things. That's a great prayer. But do you know that that's this is what that means? That your mind would be renewed to perceive things and understand things the way that God sees and understands them. You know, 
as I disciple people, sometimes they'll ask a question or they're they're just praying for something. And I'll say, well, did you ask God what he's doing? And and they'll, no, I didn't, I didn't really think to ask. And I, I'll say, well, you need to ask him because he already knows what he's doing in that situation. Instead of just asking him for what you want in that situation, ask him what he's doing in that situation. And sometimes, like, God will give you an answer. He'll explain to you exactly what's happening happening. And it might not be an answer that you like. You know, you've got to be someone who's renewed enough in your mind that if God tells you something that's difficult or challenging, that you can stand in that and not get all bent out of shape about it. God longs for us to know him, but we have to be renewed in our mind. And that is a process of coming to know him and coming to understand the way that he sees things and how his sovereign hand works in so many different facets of this life and my life and your life and everyone's life in all the many multifaceted things that he is doing. So it also includes, so perceiving and understanding, but feeling, judging, determining. You know, a lot of people, they live by their feelings, but their feelings are all their own emotions rooted in their own hurts, wounds, selfishness, self-identity, whatever it is. They're just living by their emotions. They are not living by the perfect and pleasing will of God. They are not living by a renewed mind by the power of the Holy Spirit. They're living by how they feel when they're in a situation. They're living by how, well, that person, I didn't feel good when I was listening to her, so I don't like her. Okay, that is an unrenewed statement, but it is part of the mind. It's a matter of feeling, judging, determining. So what you think about things, that's the mind. Well, God wants to renew your mind so that you think about things the way that he thinks about things. Okay, I think we got it. So we have to align with God's mind, not the mind of this world, not the mind of the principalities and rulers over our region or our area or our tribe or our city or even the various groups that we got ourselves into. We have to align with God's mind, not our own desires, not our own preferences, not our own personal tastes, the things that we like or we don't like. Okay, if you like something that God doesn't like, you need your mind renewed. It's, it's just that simple. If you like something God doesn't like, then you need to renew your mind. Until you you need to like what God likes. Love what he loves, hates hate what he hates. It's not about you getting your own desire. It's about giving God what he desires. And as the Lord renews your mind, he will bring you into alignment with his perfect and pleasing will, what is good and acceptable and perfect in his sight. And there are other scriptures there in your study guide. Ephesians 5, try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. And 1 Corinthians 2, we have, this is by faith, the mind of Christ. God wants to renew your mind. He's willing to renew your mind. You have to give him your mind. You have to put on the helmet of salvation to get the mind of Christ and begin to understand and discern what is pleasing to the Lord. 
So salvation here, this is a word we we saw in, I think, the first unit, if not the first one, then the second one. But salvation, it's soteria, the same word that we talked about before. The helmet we're putting on as our helmet. We're renewing our mind with God's deliverance, preservation, safety, salvation. So, you know, what, what have we said? Salvation, deliverance, healing, and sustenance, deliverance from the molestation of all enemies, that which concludes the salvation of our souls, and also including the future salvation when Christ returns to bring us into the world to come. So we have the helmet on, so no matter what we might be facing, no matter what scenario we might be in— The first response in our mind, no matter what trial or difficulty is in front of us, is that the gospel is the power of salvation for salvation, deliverance, healing, and sustenance. You get sick, the gospel is the power for that. You get into an oppressive situation, the gospel is the power for that. You you know, it's just the gospel has to be your first response in your mind. Someone else has a problem, the gospel is the solution to their problem, too. That's how we put the helmet of salvation on, that we're constantly thinking about and responding with the gospel being the solution, not turning to all these other things, but being renewed in our minds to have our faith entirely in Jesus and what he has done for us. And so, again, we've been doing this summary at the end of each piece of the armor, but without a helmet, the head is exposed to injury. On the battlefield, to not have a helmet on the battlefield is simply insanity. I'm sorry, that's kind of ironic to say it that way, but it is. It's insane. You're out of your mind to not have a helmet on your head on the battlefield. It is so easy for anyone to shoot right at your head and completely either paralyze you or fatally wound you very simply if there's no helmet on your head. We've got to keep the helmet of salvation on our heads at all times. So the last piece of the armor of God is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And again, guess what? You have to take the sword of the Spirit. You have to take it. You have to take hold of it. You have to take it with you. You have to take it by the hand. You have to take the sword. If you go into battle and you left your sword at home or you don't even know how to use a sword, you're going to have some serious problems because you have no offensive weapon to defend yourself from the schemes and attacks of the evil one. Okay, so the word for sword here, it's actually, you know, sometimes um, we will think of, you know, like a medieval scene of knights in shining armor and they had this long sword and they're doing battle. Or if you think of fencing, and fencing also, it's a very thin sword, but it's a long sword. That's actually not the type of sword that's being described in this passage. The word for sword here is a machaira sword. So a machaira sword is actually as short as a dagger. So I think it's about like 18 inches or shorter. You know, it's not a long sword. So more like a dagger, and it is curved in like a crescent shape. It's a, a, a it's called a machaira sword, and it's a dagger for hand-to-hand close-knit combat. 
It is totally incapable of striking an enemy at a distance. It is all hand-to-hand combat. And so your sword is when you're in a battle, not when you see a battle far, far away, but when the battle is on you, when you're in the middle of it. This is when you need your sword. Well, here we go back to where we started. What did we say about the belt of truth? If you don't know the word of God, then your pants are going to fall down on the battlefield. Well, here's the deal. If you don't already know the word of God, if you have not done your work in the secret place to seek the word of God, study the word of God, know the word of God, memorize the word of God, then once you get into the thick of battle, once the battle comes upon you, if you start trying to learn how to use your sword when the battle is already on you, you are so far behind. You you haven't done yourself any favors. You need to know the word of God before the battle comes. Actually, the truth of the matter is that a lot of times it's the battle that forces us to seek the word of God because most humans, and this is universal all over the world, are pretty lazy until the problem comes. And then the problem or the deficit that we're experiencing in our lives, that's what makes us go out and seek. But then guess what? Here's how it works. The enemy's going to come again with a new battle and he's going to see, okay, do you know how to use your sword now? Again, the battle is all about it puts you to the proof of what you really believe and how you actually respond when you are under pressure. Do you cave under the pressure or do you stand under the pressure? Do you have power against the powers or do you bow your knee to the powers of this world? Do you stand in the truth of the gospel or do you wimp out and run away or lose your faith or run after these worldly solutions or the wisdom of man or these blended compromised gospels the moment that a problem hits your life? Do you have your sword to fight the schemes of the evil one with the word of God? So it is the sword of the spirit. We've talked about this before. It is not against flesh and blood. It's not against people who don't agree with you. Now, believe me, when people that you love think you are crazy for following Jesus, that's a battle. Okay, and Jesus even said, don't think that I've come to bring peace, but I've come to bring a sword. There is a sword, a sword of the Lord that comes into our lives and it cuts away at things that are not of God. And we pray that those people that we love will come into revelation of the truth and come into the benefits of repentance and the truth of the gospel. But our battle is not against them. Our battle is of the spirit. It is against the powers and the spiritual forces of wickedness. It is not even against our own flesh. You know, flesh and blood means their flesh and blood and our flesh and blood. The battle is against sin. That's a power. That's one of the powers that we have power against. It's the battle against sin. The Holy Spirit gives us power over sin. It's the power of the powers, which we talked about in Unit 5. We have power from the Lord to stand against the powers, okay? The Word of God. 
gives us the strength to do that. And it's of the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Now, interestingly, in this passage, now I know there are teachings, you know, from a couple decades ago, everybody got really all excited about the rhema and the logos and the logos word versus the rhema word. And there are all sorts of teachings on that. And I think they, you know, it's like you can take something that might be true and you can take it too far. But Anyway, this is actually one of the examples of the proper use of the rhema word. So in this, that it the sword of the Spirit is the rhema word of God. It's not the sword of the Spirit is the words in the book of your Bible. Now, the words of the book in your Bible, that is the word of God. But the rhema word, so the logos word of God is the whole counsel of God, and it's the holy scriptures. That's the logos word of God. It is the original and whole counsel of God written by the inspiration of God in the, it, it is what we call the Bible today. It's unshakably certain it is God's will. That is the Logos word of God. The Rhema word of God is when the word of God is spoken forth by a human. It is the spoken out word of God. And so the sword of the spirit is the spoken word of God. So you can't, like if you're in a battle with an enemy in a spiritual fight, you can't just hold up your Bible in a book and say the word of God, you know, like you need to quote the scripture out loud. That is the rhema word of God. So our example of this is Jesus, Jesus in the wilderness. That was a battle. That was a temptation. So he's been fasting for 40 days and he's hungry. And once he's hungry, the serpent slithers up and tries to tempt him with all these various trials and temptations. How did Jesus respond? Jesus answered, it is written. And then the second time, again, a different scripture, it is written. And then finally, the third time, be gone, Satan, for it is written. So every time that Jesus said, it is written, He then quoted, he proceeded to quote a scripture from the word of God. Now, interestingly, the scriptures that he quoted in resisting the evil one, he quoted all scriptures from Deuteronomy or from the law. So what Jesus was declaring every time that he declared the law of God— He was saying, the law of God is the governing force of my life, so I'm not going to bow my knee to you or obey your suggestion of what you're trying to get me to do because I am under a different authority and it's not yours. I'm under, I willingly submit myself under the law of God. The law says this, that's what I'm doing. I'm not following what you told me to do. Now, again, in the new covenant, we're not under law. I'm not saying that you go around quoting the law. What What are we in? What are we under? The gospel. Hello, it's the name of the course. The gospel is the power. So, we say it is written, and there are scripture after scripture after scripture. You want some scriptures? Pick up the study guide to this class. It's full of them, okay? We can find scripture after scripture that says there is no condemnation for me in Christ Jesus. Hallelujah. We can find scriptures for any type of attack that the enemy sends against us. It is written by his stripes we were healed. Now, I know that's quoting from Isaiah 53, 
but Peter also said it. In the new covenant, we were healed, okay? It's past tense. It's already been finished. No matter what trial is coming against you, you can find a scripture to refute the attack of the enemy. This is hand-to-hand combat with the adversary of your soul. You need to speak the word of God out loud, the rhema word of God. That is your sword. That is your offensive weapon so that you also can say, be gone, Satan, for it is written. And you follow that with the scripture that you have found that matches to the gospel's answer to the problem that you are facing or the attack that the enemy is trying to bring against you. And so we use the sword of God to chop to pieces all the arguments that are brought against us, all the schemes of the evil one that are brought against us by the evil one, by the powers at work, by the influences of our culture, culture, the influences, even if they're of our family or people that we love, if they're ungodly influences, we need to chop them off. Not the people, but the spiritual force behind them. The schemes of the evil one must be cut off by the sword of the Lord, the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. 